So today we are finishing up um, basically chapter 10, in which Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. He's asking some rhetorical questions on uh, the objections or doubts that his audience would have. Those questions and those doubts apply to us even today. So with that said, let us stand for the reading of God's word. The authoritative word of God reads as follows, Romans 10, beginning in verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning that your word is being preached. Holy Spirit, we plead with you that you give us ears to hear and a heart to understand your message. Lord, draw us close to Christ as we learn of the importance of hearing and understanding your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe may see it. Title today's sermon, Hearing Without Understanding. Something to be said about the importance of understanding what we hear. Many of us could perhaps sit and listen to a complicated lecture or workshop of any topic that would be above our head. And we could hear, but we could not understand. That's very probable, right? In the importance of hearing and understanding what is being heard, I was reminded of the story of, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, which Jesus tells us about. In that story of Lazarus and the rich men, Jesus describes how each of them, Lazarus and the rich men, both died. Lazarus was immediately comforted in a spiritual state after physical death, whereas the rich man was being tortured in torment. And the rich man pleads for permission. Please let me go back so that I can warn my loved ones. And the answer given to him is, no, you're not going to go back. You're not allowed to go back to warn your loved ones. And the reason given for that by Jesus is that he says, for they already have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And then Jesus says something which is so amazing. He says, for even if someone was raised from the dead and go to them and warn them, they still wouldn't believe. This day, we know biblically and historically, it's a fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead in bodily form. And yet, the vast majority of the earth's population 
rejects the gospel. They still don't believe. Because if they have not listened to what's already written, they still would not believe if a miracle happened in their life. The importance of hearing and understanding what is being said in this particular context, hearing what the Word of God is telling us. So as Paul is given a detailed exposition of why the people of Israel have not believed the gospel, he's expecting his listeners to have some questions about the reasons why Israel has not believed. In the previous verses right before this, Paul told us that in order for people to believe, to call upon the name of Christ, there needs to be a preacher. They need to hear the gospel from a preacher. And that is an accurate representation of the gospel. And when that happens faithfully, biblically, then the listener, those that God draws, will listen, will hear, will understand, and they will call upon the name of Christ in order to be saved. Right? So today, given that reasoning, Paul now asks a couple of questions, which in short are pretty much asking, well, if that is the case, why didn't Israel believe? Did they not have a preacher? Did they not have a message? Did they not have the scriptures? So what happened? So Paul continues this theme that we've been seeing. What happened with Israel? And we're going to see that what happened with Israel applies to us too. The main point we'll extract, therefore, from this is this. Israel had preachers. Israel had faithful preachers of the word of God. But they rejected, they rebelled against God's message from those preachers because they loved their sin. Okay? So with that, let us go into the first header to go through the exposition of this text. Was there not a preacher? Was there not a preacher, right? Romans 10, 18. Paul says, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For, quote, their voice has gone out to all the earth in their words to the ends of the world. Turns out Israel was greatly privileged. They had a head start, so to speak, when it comes to knowing God and being known by God? Paul already told us that. Romans 3, verses 1 and 2. It reads as, as follows. It says, Then what advantage is, has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Right? A few months back, we remember Romans chapter 3. Paul is saying, again, that the nation of Israel were highly privileged because they had what everyone else did not have. They had the special revelation. They had the scriptures of God. And with that knowledge, with that privilege, came great responsibility. They were left without an excuse. Now that quote from verse 18 that we just read, it comes out of a text from Psalm 19. 
And the way the Psalm 19 begins is by an adoration. It is praising God for his marvelous creation. It reads as follows. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 4. It says, The heavens declare the glory, in God, the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So when this psalm is giving praise, honor, worship to God as creator, this is talking about God's general revelation, right? This is the theme Paul has been following throughout. General revelation. You look around, look at the mountains, at the, the sky, the universe, the planets. Within our own planet, we see the creation, created order. We see the great ecosystems that it exist. And we see that, wow, as, as Stan and Sebastian were mentioning, that as we saw yesterday, that there is design in this creation. That is God's general revelation available to all. And that is what we're seeing in Psalm 19. Now, it turns out that Paul is supplying the concept of general revelation. He's personifying that, and he's saying that that also applies to Israel's special revelation, to the scriptures. For the Jews, that special revelation counted as well. Because as we read there in that citation, it says that day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. In other words, God's creation yells out, I have a creator. Listen to him. So then we start to see here that the people of Israel were truly without excuse. Now, what about us today? It is often asked or implied by someone who is a skeptic. I have no issues with skeptics. Let's, let's talk. But a typical objection is this. Hey, what about those poor people that haven't heard? Well, first, Paul actually addressed that already in the book of Romans. But, put that aside for a bit. That said, no, what about you? You have heard. Okay? So, like Israel, you are left without an excuse before God because you have heard. Being exposed to the scriptures, having heard the gospel, we are under the same responsibility as the people of Israel had when they received God's special revelation. Indeed, Someone has preached to us, but have we heard? We've listened, but have you heard and understood? Which leads us to the second header. Hearing without understanding. This is a specific example, which is another citation from the Old Testament, that turned to accuse Israel. Yes, they did have a preacher. They did hear. Romans 10, 19, but I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. 
So Israel was for sure religious. They knew what the scripture said, but their understanding was not what it ought to be. They had head knowledge. It is well known and attested for that the Jewish people, not only the rabbis and the teachers, but people at large would memorize scripture. So they had knowledge. They did hear. It's a culture highly, uh, that they highly praised and admired oral tradition. They knew, they've heard. Now let us go back to the second verse of this, second and third verse, Romans 2 and 3. I'm sorry, Romans 10, verses 2 and 3, in which Paul says the following about the Jewish people when he's lamenting that they don't believe. It says, For I bear witness, I, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Okay? So they had knowledge, they had zeal. But did they understand? This is the question that Paul asks, which he anticipates that others and even us, right? Well, they did have a preacher. They did hear. But did they understand? Think of a time in your life when for the longest time or at least for some time you've had certain information available to you. Mm -hmm. And one day it dawned on you what that actually meant. Aha! I didn't realize that's what that meant. And yet... That information was there the whole time. You went from having the information, from hearing, from knowing, into understanding. Really understanding the information that is before you. So Israel, speaking generally as a nation, they had heard, they had the information, they had the knowledge. But they never had that aha moment of what the Old Testament pointed to. They missed the boat, if you will. They did not, as a people, grasp the actual meaning of what was being preached to them. And Israel was actually warned of this very thing, that they will hear and not understand. That is elaborated by Isaiah in Isaiah 6, and then is confirmed later in the New Testament, Matthew 13, Acts 28, Mark 4, Luke 8, which make reference to the fact that Israel was warned that they would hear and not understand, that they would listen and not obey. That was a warning they already had. And yet, we are told in the second verse of our passage today that God would make them jealous of those who are not a nation. In fact, with a foolish nation, God would make disciples and his kingdom out of them. Let us take a look at Titus 3, verses 3 to 5a it says the following for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy hated by others and hating one another but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to to his own mercy. So much to be said in that verse. Recognizes, first of all, that 
the people that God redeemed indeed were not deserving of it. Foolish, disobedient, slaves to sin. The difference is this. Israel remained in the description of the half of the passage that we just read from Titus 3. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing days in malice and envy, hating each other and one another. So in that sense, Israel never got out of that phase. They remain in that phase. This is the acknowledgement of a sinful state of humanity. Okay? And then it says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Israel didn't make it into that second phase of the description. And then it says, not because of works done by them in righteousness, but because of God's mercy. They didn't deserve it either. However, when they heard the message, they believed. And when Israel heard the message, and they've had the message all along, they rebelled. The second example given of another preacher that was given to Israel is Isaiah, Romans 10, 20. This is where Paul quotes from. It says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown mercy to those who did not ask for me. So Isaiah had announced that God would have another people that was not Israel. Recall an, a notable theme here in this section of Romans that we've been going through the, the last couple months or so. Paul tells us that the Jews wanted righteousness. They were zealous to seek the righteousness that God demanded. Right? But they wanted to establish their own righteousness. Being aware that they needed to be righteous, they wanted to take it upon themselves to make themselves righteous before God. And when that happens, it tells us that they didn't realize how holy God was. When we think we can please God with our own works, inevitably we raise ourselves up and we bring God down and say, okay, I bring your requirements here and I'm now able to meet them. That is idolatry. We're bringing God down and making him to our own image, thinking that we'll be able to please him by what we do in order to be saved. I'm not talking about being obedient once you are a Christian. We are absolutely commanded to do that. I'm talking specifically about, okay, I can be good enough so that God accepts me. That is exactly what the Jews try to do, and they are condemned for it. Because seeking their own righteousness, they did not seek nor submit to the righteousness of God. They didn't realize how holy God was. <clears throat> now it says that God would basically graft in Gentiles, nobodies. To the Jewish mind, that is absolutely unthinkable. Are those dirty Gentiles going to take their place in the kingdom? That's unthinkable. Which shows the pride of the nation of Israel. To this very day, one of the reasons why Jews don't believe in Christ is because they cannot stand the concept that one of us, me, a dirty Gentile, is going to go and tell them 
that their theology is incomplete because they rejected the Messiah that was already provided. I've actually recently dealt with a gentleman who is actually a convert to Judaism. And I promised myself I wouldn't go into online debates, and I kind of did debate, but I've let go now. So, But in any case, like that basically was it. Like I clearly saw going through Romans that the Jewish folks that are Orthodox, they are trying to establish their own righteousness, and they're trying hard. And the scripture has revealed, good luck. You're going to fail. Can't do it. Now, why didn't Israel hear? Why did Israel hear but not understand? Meaning, why didn't Israel believe instead of rejecting God? Why? Let us look at the quote here from Isaiah that Paul is referring to. Give us a little bit of insight. Isaiah 65, verses 2 and 3. Why is it? that Israel rejected God's message and, and instead went their own way. It says this, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks. This language is worship language. Israel was worshiping. Now, they did lip service to God, and they had all that knowledge from the scriptures, but it was all lip service. We are told that they did not understand because they were in idolatry. Idolatry. Right? The main point that we're extracting from today's text is that they refused to listen because they love their sin. That's why. Now, brothers and sisters, friends, is this not true today of us, of our culture and our generation, just as Isaiah said? Is there not those who walk in their own ways? Like, oh, that's, you know, if you want to do that, that's cool. Like, I, I got my own thing going on. Follow their own devices, right? Proverbs 16, 18 says, him who follows his heart is a fool. Jeremiah 79, because our heart is deceitful. And this, the scripture tells us that the way that seems right to man seems <clears throat> like the way they should go, basically, but in the end is a way of death. So could it be that we refuse to listen to what the scriptures and what the gospel says? Because we are trying to establish our own righteousness. That could be a good reputation, a career, a business, school, hobbies. Even to have a perfectly seemingly nice home. I mean, those things are not wrong within themselves. But if those are our only priority or our top priority, we are too worshiping at the altar of our own desires and not worshiping God. And therefore, the warning that the scripture is giving to Israel that they were going to hear and not understand is given to us today. As several of you may be aware, I've been really 
reading and digesting material from Del Patrich lately. He's the author of the book that we're going through the men's study. He posted this quote. It reads as follows. I don't have it here. I'll just read it. It says this, when people do not hear the gospel, it is not always because you fail to present it clearly. People rejected the words of Christ himself. People reject the gospel because it threatens to separate them from the love of their life. That is, their sin. It's the bottom line, friends. We reject what God says because I love my sin. That's why. When I'm at that fork in the road, when I can choose to sin or to honor God, and I choose to sin, no one is forcing me. I love to do it. That's the old nature that may creep in in a Christian. And for non-Christians, that is your only nature. You're a slave to sin. The third header is this. God's faithfulness and Israel's rebellion. Romans 10, 21. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul reminds the Jewish folks that may have this question, hey, what happened to our nation? Why is it that if what you're saying is true, we are being rejected? Could it be God's fault? No, Paul is saying continuously God has extended mercy to you over and over and over. It says he has held out his hands, stretched out to extend, to reach out. That's what the word means. There has been a constant reaching out of God's hands, extending an offer of salvation to Israel. That's whom the Messiah came through, through the tribe of Judah. Yet, they were hard of heart. They were disobedient and contrary people. That's been Israel's overall response to God's provision of salvation throughout their history. This was nothing new to God. Going back to Exodus 32, verse 9, it says the following. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. God knew that Israel was stubborn, refused to listen. So as we've been mentioning, my friends, is this not true of us? Is this unique of the Jewish folks that they're stubborn and Stiff-necked and don't listen to what God says. God has shown his faithfulness and kindness to every single one of us. Everyone here has experienced the kindness of God. Yet at one point or another, we have responded to God with our rebellion. Rejection of his law, rejection of Christ as Savior. And sometimes having the idea whether stated or or implied that if we do congregate if we do read if we do pray that we're kind of doing God a favor like all right now let's let's throw God a bone here to cover my bases maybe my friends may it never be God doesn't need a favor from you God doesn't need you you need God Speaking of God's sovereignty and this concept that God doesn't need you and that actually the tables are turned and we are absolutely dependent upon God, 
because God is creator and he's powerful and he's self-sufficient. We read this in Acts 17, 25. This is talking about God. It says, nor is he, that's God, served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. There it is. God needs nothing, yet God extends his mercy and his grace to everyone. If instead of doing that, God extended justice, we'd all be dead and condemned to hell right now. If we actually got what we deserved. Because we deserve judgment. We are a stiff-necked people. We reject God's message out of our own reason. Yet to all humanity, Christians and not, God has had mercy. He has given you the very things you need to be alive physically right now. Life, breath, everything. Health. And that, my friends, specifically that breath of life that all of us in this room have right now, that could be gone in an instant. Okay? That could be gone. Providentially, we've all experienced recent losses of life with our loved ones. I mean, we were visiting with Sister Cindy yesterday, going over Brother Eric's room and, and bookshelf, and it still seems unreal, right? That life, that breath of life, my friends, could be gone instantly. That is a gift from God that he's given you right now if you're still breathing. But it goes much beyond that. Not only has he provided life and breath and provision, God has also, and more importantly, provided us the spiritual provision of eternal life, that is, the gospel of Christ. The very message that the Jewish folks rejected. That is available to us. Let us not be stiff-necked people as Paul is attesting that the Jews were. Rather, let us embrace the message of the gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were stiff-necked and rebellious people rejecting God's message, he had mercy on us and sent Christ to be born of a virgin, to live the perfect life that we cannot live, to attain that perfect righteousness that is required in order to be righteous in the eyes of God. That by grace through faith, he gives us that. The righteousness of Christ is given to us. And that based on that, on that faith of the merit and the perfection of Christ, we have the hope of eternal life. Just like Jesus died, was buried physically, rose from the dead physically, defeating death, sin. And that that very promise is given to us when we believe and submit to what the Lord Jesus says and did. Some final thoughts here in the passage today. First, is there a preacher in our lives? I mean, I know it's not much to talk about, but I'm it. <laughs> For all intents and purposes, this is what you get. Right? I'm, I'm the preacher here in, this, in the context of the local church. And I am accountable to God to preach and present the accurate gospel. If I don't, it would be better 
for a millstone to be tied around my neck and be thrown into the ocean. I am accountable to God for presenting the biblical gospel to each one of you. And I'm also accountable to you. I cannot be preaching a gospel here and preaching repentance and preaching the concepts and teachings of Christ and living a double life. I can't do that. I cannot have unforgiveness in my heart. I cannot be a ungodly husband to my wife or an ungodly father to my kids. I'm accountable not only to God, but I'm accountable to you. Okay? And it is your responsibility, as the Bereans did, to see and check if what I'm preaching is accurate according to the ultimate standard, that is the Word of God. Okay? Is there a preacher? Right? I'm it. Sorry to inform you. <laughs> That's what you get. But nevertheless, there is a preacher. Secondly, are there listeners? Is there somebody listening? And is there someone who understands? My friends, that's you. You are listening. Do you understand? It is not sufficient to have an intellectual grasp of information. There must be a response of a changed heart. That is true understanding. There should be repentance and faith in Christ. That is the evidence of someone who heard and understood. Let the hearer understand. And thirdly, let it be known, God is absolved. I cannot accuse God, you cannot accuse God. God is absolutely holy and absolved, and you are guilty. We don't approach God as a debtor. We approach Him if there ever was a creditor. As a creditor. He doesn't owe us nothing. We owe Him. That's the bad news, right? We're in trouble. God is holy. We are sinful. You have heard preaching today, if not any, any other time today. So you are without excuse. Now, the good news is that God has provided a way of escape out of judgment through himself in the person of Christ. Not through doing good, not through trying to be better. No, he provided a way of escape through the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to submit, to understand, to embrace that truth, it takes humility. It takes the attitude such as the sinner, the publican, that was so ashamed of his sin, the scripture says, that he couldn't even look up. Scripture says, beating his chest, he said, Lord, have mercy on me. That's humility. Knowing that we have nothing to bring to God for him to show us favor. But to recognize our sin, our brokenness, our need 
for a savior. That takes humility. Remember the number one sin, if there wasn't any order, was pride. Satan. Pride. At the talk yesterday that, I, that we were mentioning earlier, this brilliant guy, scientist, he said this, quote, you won't find answers to the biggest questions in life without humility. Unquote. And the biggest question in life is, who is Jesus? My friends, if we get that wrong, we will perish. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. You can argue with that. You can object to that and show your pride. Or you can submit to the Lordship of Christ. Either for conversion or as a believer in repentance in our sanctification. May that be our attitude today. My brothers and sisters, humility to the greatness, to the holiness of God and to the provision that he has made through Christ for us. How great truth is that? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for indeed you have been gracious. For indeed you have sent us today and at previous times preachers to speak your word to us. Lord, May we repent from being stiff-necked people, rebellious, contrary. And may we be reminded that you have grafted us in by your mercy, by your grace. Not that we did anything to deserve it, but that you have extended the offer of salvation because you are so good to us. Let us rejoice in that truth today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.